on our lives. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be opened right now to what you have to say to us in your scriptures. We know your word is truth. We confess that. We know it. We sing praises to you and honor you, Father, because we cannot help what you have done in our hearts. Be joyful. We cannot help but be joyful in you because of what you have done in our hearts. Lord, I pray that would be the confession of every person here from every age group. I pray for our people, Lord, that you would help us to be the kind of people that is continually in a posture of being missional, of knowing that we are with you on mission after lost people uh, with the good news of your gospel that saves. How amazing it is that you have saved us sinners. We know that we are sinners saved by your grace. We confess that it is nothing in us. Forgive us for those moments and those weird, strange thoughts, behaviors, things that, that enter our minds and behaviors we do or attitudes we have or postures we have where we think that that we are somehow earning favor with you. As we confess in this time, Father, it is all about you and you saving us. So we pray for your help. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. If you have your Bible right now, you can turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. This morning we are coming to the end of a, of a little mini-series on um, a missional God and his missional people. You know, one of the first things that we, we, um, we talked about a couple weeks ago was the fact that God sends every Christian on mission. And that he sends every Christian right away. You know, a changed heart, a new life, walking with Jesus cross on back, going forward, sharing with others about the mercy of Jesus. It's a part of our life. It's a part of our posture. We know that we do not live out our Christian faith perfectly because we have not been made perfect yet. And so we sin and we make big mistakes, but God is gracious and God is good. We, we also talked about the fact that not only does he send every Christian right away and he sends every Christian, but that he also sends us in peculiar places. Those peculiar places are also the mundane and the very normal for us. They might be peculiar to others, but sometimes they're our regular job because we're right in the midst of the world. And in some working environments, it's more worldly than other working environments. We're not saying you should put yourself in a place of sin. But what I'm saying is God has ordained for you and your life to be among people that do not know Jesus in this strange and odd place so that you can proclaim the name of Jesus to them. There are certainly vocations that we should not do as Christians, although that's another discussion altogether. But there are plenty of places where we can work and live our Christian lives in the midst of the world, not being of it. And so God sends his people in peculiar places, though. 
And lastly, today, what we're going to be talking about uh, uh, right from the book of Jonah is not only does he send Christians right away, not only does God send to peculiar places, but at times, God sends us to people we do not like. God will send us on mission after people that we take issue with. God will send us after people because of those relational ties, and sometimes there's no relational tie, but a people that maybe even we hate. Now, I know that the scriptures teach us that we're not to hate, that we are to love, but I also know that there are things that happen in this life. You and I all know from life experiences that we have uh, relationships that are severed and broken because of things that have happened to us, because of the way people have treated us, because of whatever it was. Maybe someone did real evil to you, and you don't care for them, and you say things like, well, you know, um, I don't hate them, but I hate their sin. But deep down in our hearts, what we really are saying is, I hate their guts. And a safe way to share that with another Christian or to try to say, share that with God in our prayers is to say, no, I hate their sin. Now, certainly, the scriptures show us that God does hate sin. And I want to ask you this morning to, to wrestle with your heart as it relates to God sending you to people that you may not like or, in fact, you may hate. You know, it was, it was many years for us at this point. There's some of us here that maybe we're not born yet or newly born, and others of us where this is just massively fresh in our minds. It was the whole 9-11 event. Let's recall that just for a moment. All those years ago, our people's aircraft was taken over, hijacked, and plummeted into some of the major financial institutions of our country live on television for the entire world to see. And I remember waking up in the morning, still newly married at that point, all those years ago, and my wife got up before I did and was saying, babe, you got to come out here. And on display for us all to see were the Twin Towers just crashing down. And I remember at the time being a seminarian, going to seminary, and you wrestle with ideas in seminary, big ideas, just war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in my heart, I was thinking anger. I was not thinking love. In my heart, I was thinking enemy. I was not thinking God's pursuit of a sinner. I was thinking what does revenge look like? My people are perishing, right? And just, just feeling that sense, of the, the, the wrestling of someone's doing heat, evil and bringing harm to us and my Christian response to this, uh, knowing that the government bears the sword, knowing that there's a time to stop evil, but also asking what is God doing in me? How, how do I reconcile this, this thing that has taken place and justice and mercy simultaneously? You ever wrestled with that? 
Did you have thoughts over the years as you thought about Muslims, for example, because they were Muslim extremists who attacked us during that time, of whether or not you were willing to share the gospel with those people, or you thought, just let them perish. In the book that I'm going to show you today, I'm going to give you about a 10,000-foot view of, of a prophet who faced some similar issues, some similar questions. So if you'll turn there to the book of Jonah, we're going we're gonna to take a look at this. We will see how he deals with it, and we will, learn, we will not learn how we're to deal with it by looking at his example. But today, you will wrestle with it because this book is absolutely fascinating and it ends so incredibly abrupt. It is an amazing story, a piece of history that takes place, that has much to say to God's people and about the character of God. Now, I want to read the beginning parts of it. So what happens is God calls Jonah, this prophet of his, to go proclaim a message to a particular people. And there's something that happens in the midst of that where Jonah has a very interesting response to this. And I want you to see that unfold before your eyes, and I'll explain it. In Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Call out against it. Uh, call out against, excuse me, call out against that great city. For their evil has come up before me. Now look at what Jonah does. Jonah hears God say this to him. The message is clear. Go proclaim this to a very particular people. He doesn't just say like all the people, he just says to Nineveh. But Jonah, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the, the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, uh, away from the presence of the Lord. Now let, let's give a little background so we understand what's going on here, because it's very quick, there's a lot of gaps, you're wondering, oh, what's the big deal? Nineveh, who cares about them? Tarshish, who's, who are they? What's going on here? Well, here's the thing that we need to understand. The Ninevites are actually Assyrians, the Assyrians are some of the most aggressive and intense, horrific, evil, plotting people you have, that the earth has ever known. I'm looking at the age of people that are in here, and there's a lot I'm just not going to say. But you need to know that there has been no more evil done in the world than the kind of things that they did. And uh, Jonah did not like these Assyrian people, because that's who they were. The Assyrians were the ones that beat the daylights out of Israel, d destroyed about 10 kingdoms in the north of Israel. And Jonah knew who they were, and he did not like them. And what he wanted for them was God's justice. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It is the ISIS of the world. It is the terrorist state. So what does Jonah do when he hears from God to go proclaim this message to them? Well, if you look on a map, you see something rather interesting. 
Um, I'm going to, your right side's over here. Israel is here. The cap, Nineveh is about 500 plus miles out this way. Tarshish is 2,500 miles completely the other direction. What, Ju- what Jonah does is he gets a one-way ticket to Georgia. I mean, he gets on a one-way ticket and goes completely the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. Why does Jonah do this? Jonah does this because he hates the Assyrians. And he can't stand the fact that God is asking him to do this thing. Now, Jonah would be a rather uh, good fan of the particular message that God has in mind. You know, things like, um, he says, Nineveh, that you great city, and call against, call against it, um, for their evil has come up before me. Uh, we don't have any other detail than that, but, but this, this, this message of judgment from God. Now, Jonah would like God's justice, but why would he flee? Beyond the fact that he hates them, well, we don't really find out until later in the story, which then reveals a little further detail as to why he has an issue. But I'm going to give you a general idea of why he's fleeing. Not only does he hate them, but he knows that God is gracious and merciful. And what Jonah cannot reconcile in these moments is the justice of God, which he wants to see the just hand of God taking place on the Assyrians. He cannot reconcile that with the mercy of God. And he can't stand the thought of God showing mercy to these people. And so I ask you today, brothers and sisters, as you have wrestled with this, or maybe you haven't, but I want you to wrestle with this because the God of heaven puts puts us on mission after people, and it's all kinds of people, and sometimes it is people that we don't like or don't really care for. Now, we're going to see some things revealed in the scripture as we go forward. We are going to see this radical nationalism in the heart of Jonah. And we're also going to see, are you ready? This is a big word, his racism. Jonah loves his country. And we'll see that unpacked in the story. In fact, there's a few mo- movements that I'm going to just kind of unpack as we go forward. This, I'm going to want to give them to you right now. Here's, here's the movement so you fo- can follow along. The first movement is this, that, um, of the, the running prophet. That's the first movement. That's what I'm talking about right now, the prophet that is running from God. The second movement from the whole story is the storm of God. Now, I know that some of you who grew up in church or maybe you went to church like two times because your, your, your family was like, hey, look, you know, we got to get religious, but we're not really sure. Then we, they took you to church twice in your whole life. And you went, and you probably showed up on the day when they talked about Jonah. And you're like, hey, you know, did you know, like, there was this, this big, big fish, and it swallowed a guy, and then he threw him up. And, like, that's the story that you know. And you probably didn't hear about his nationalism, and you probably didn't hear about his racism, But we're going to see both those things today. So running from God, the second movement, the storm of God. The third movement, we're going to to call this into the belly of the fish. The fourth movement, we will call call this Jonah repents, sort of. And then the last movement, we'll call it the angry prophet and the abrupt ending. So the first movement in the story, in the narrative, is that God has a message for Jonah to give to these people because, you see, God has compassion on them, and we'll see that revealed later in the text. 
And Jonah has a big issue with them. How could God possibly save these people? Did you ever struggle with that? Do you struggle with it right now? Are there people that are different from you that you just don't really care to interact with? Is there a little bit of racism in your heart? In our heart? What if people have a different political perspective, God forbid, than us? You know, Christians come in all types of political perspectives, right? Our American culture of politics is about this old, and there have been plenty of cultures way before our culture ever existed. And there will continue to be until Christ returns. But what if someone sits on the other side of the aisle than you, politically? What if someone is coming from a different ethnic background than you? I want you to ask yourself these questions because at the heart of it, I want to know. I want you to wrestle with, are you fearful? Are you hindered in some way to be on mission with God because you don't want to go to this people because they really bug you, you don't like them? Can I confess to you that like, I, I wrestle with this and, as well? I noticed it. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the text, and then I see it come out of my own heart. I, I just can't believe it, that it would come out in my heart. Uh, without giving like, the whole story, I just, like, there's, a, there's, there's a person I see here and there in the city, and I just think, yeah, I, God, I want to share the gospel with everyone except that person. Because I don't like the way they treated me. You ever had that go on in your heart? And that's what I want you to wrestle with today. And one of the first parts we see is the running prophet. Jonah is running com the complete other direction. And you can sympathize with him on some level, but we're going to see the wickedness of it. It was some years ago um, when I was a little kid, there was a, a murderer on the loose. Some of you were old enough to know. Some of you have never heard of this person. His name is... Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy uh, was one, one of the first like uh, um, killers that was killing repeatedly. Like it was kind of a, like it's not, not that it was new historically, but it was one of the, one of the major ones in America. Ted Bundy, in, in the early 70s, Ted Bundy was this young, young guy who was going around, and I'll, I'll just leave it at this and say no more about it, but he was murdering young women. And he ended up confessing to about 29 of them, and, but people think he killed about 50. You can actually see footage of the day they put him on the, in the electric chair and they killed him in Florida. Because around, I don't know, in the 80s or so, they, they, they actually they killed him. They, um, he was on death row, and they put him in the electric chair, electric chair and they, they killed him. And he knew he deserved to die for the wicked and the evil things he had done. He had murdered these, these young girls. Um, but people were outside. There's footage of people on the outside of the prison chanting and celebrating his death with big old signs that say things like, burn, Bundy, burn. And there is a wrestling in there of wanting the justice of God and then dealing with the fact that God shows mercy. God shows mercy. Does he show mercy to people that you do not like? And is that okay with you? If Ted Bundy had gotten saved, and there's discussion and debate about that, 
if it's possible that he got saved at the end of his life and he knew Jesus, would it bother you that a sinner like this was shown mercy? Because at the heart of that, this was what Jonah struggled with. Like, do you know the evil they did to my people? The torturous, wicked evil they did. So, movement number two, the storm of God. The storm of God. Jonah, he's escaping from the presence of God, and he goes on this boat, and he goes along with them. As they were going on this boat, on a journey, completely the opposite direction of, wh of where he was told to go by God, he's with these sailors, and God sends a storm. And as the storm is raging, it's, t it's terrifying because the boat is being shredded apart. It's really intense. It's really frightening. And the, the mariners, the sailors, are terrified and getting to work. And what does Jonah do? He goes down below and he falls fast asleep, the scriptures say. All of this is going on and he goes down and goes to sleep. Why does he go asleep when all terror and all Hades is breaking loose on the situation that he's going through? You see, Jonah is in awful emotional torment because he's not listening to God. Have you ever been so depressed that you just thought, I'm just going to go to sleep and escape all of life right now? This is exactly what's happening to Jonah. Jonah goes downstairs as God hurls this storm on them, and he's sleeping, and the sailors, they grab him, and they're frantic, and they're freaking out, and the scripture says that they are calling out to their gods. They all worship these different gods. They're calling out to them, trying to get the gods to do something, and, and they are at no avail. Nothing is happening. It's just like, it's just getting worse and worse and worse and Jonah is brought up, and they're like, hey, sleeper, come out here. Call upon your God. You know, we got to find out what's going on. And they decide to draw lots. In the ancient world, people draw, drew, would draw lots. Maybe they put their name on it, or they'd, they'd put the, a short stick among uh, tall ones, and, and they would draw to see what's going on. And they thought, hey, look, what is, why is this evil happening to us? So we need to expose where this evil is coming from, and then we need to deal with this particular person, whoever it is. And the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us draw, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they, they cast lots, and it fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now, I want you to look at the questions they begin to ask Jonah. And I also want you to see the response that he gives to them. And notice the first response he gives to their question. You see, they say, uh, what is your occupation? That's the first one. Uh, where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Notice his first response. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I, feel Yah I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea in the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and, and I want to pause for a moment. He does not answer their original question at first. For Jonah, he starts with his identity, which is being a Hebrew, which is being one of God's saved people, which is a reference to his patriotism and his nationalism. You see, Jonah cares more about his Jewishness than he does about lost people. 
Now, he knows the living God of heaven. He knows that there is no other God than Yahweh. In fact, that's the language that's used here. Um, it's really fascinating as the sailors interact with him. You see, that's, the f- that, that's his first answer. And so I ask myself the question, I ask the people of God, you, this question, do you realize that you are a Christian before you are an American? Do you realize that you are a Christian before you are a father or husband or daughter? I mean, all of those things. Do you realize that you are a Christian before you are an athlete? And I've told you before, but I'll say it again, that when I was a young person doing athletics, my identity was all about my sport and not about Jesus. What is it for you, brothers and sisters? What is the wrestling match? What do you struggle with? And does that thing hinder you from being sent by God to people that are different than you? Now, now look, we can certainly have access and a missional posture toward people that are similar to us because it's the easiest people for us to reach. That's legit. And God has given that to you, and you should use that. If you're a musician, you're gonna, of course you're going to connect. If you have a vocation that, that does these types of things, you're going to connect with those types of people. And you should use that for God's kingdom and his glory. But, but can you use the gifts that God has given you for people that are different than you? Or do you say, no, I, I just don't like them. Because I don't like the fact that God sends me to people I don't like. Or people that have wronged me. You know, one of the things I was wrestling with as I wrestled with that, that issue this week is I started to, to pray for that person who had wronged me. I'm just like, Lord, I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just need to, I need to pray for your grace on their lives and their, your salvation. And Lord, I just want to see what you're going to do in my heart. And so I'm, I'm, I'm calling you, brothers and sisters, to, 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 to wrestle with that and ask yourself the question of what is, your, 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 what, is, what is hindering you from reaching out to people that are not like you, if they're different politically, if they're different vocationally, if they're different ethnically? You see, because the reality is they are all in the same storm, aren't they? Theologians point this out, and I think it's just this beautiful thing. You see, all of humanity is in the same storm. All of humanity is in the boat, in one boat together. Here we have pagans and a prophet of God in the same boat and in the same storm. One knows their God, but it's not telling those others about who the true God is. He is doing what he can to get away from proclaiming that message to anyone, and especially those sailors as well. But God does something interesting in his heart, and we see something come out of this that's really, really fascinating. Something takes place or begins to take place in Jonah's heart. Here we are in the midst of the storm, and Jonah, he does something incredibly sacrificial. He tells the men, I'm the issue, and that someone needs to actually die for this. You need to hurl me out of the boat. You know, until, we real, until we're ready to sacrifice for others and think of other people's interests as more important than ourselves, we will not want to or be interested in proclaiming the good news to them because it might cost us something. And one of the primary reasons we don't want to proclaim good news to others is be, or, or we have a hindrance from talking to others that are different from us is because we're cool when God serves our interests, but if God's not serving our interests, namely the people that we don't like, then we don't want anything to do with God or the people that he wants us to reach. 
But Jonah has this amazing moment where he says, I'm the problem and you need to throw me over. I'm going to start in verse 11. In chapter 1, just read this. Then they said to him, what, what shall we do um, to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now they do something that's really fascinating. They do something that religious people do. Are you ready? They try to row harder. Toward, they don't want to kill him. They don't want to throw him out. They start working harder. If I just work harder, then we will be rescued by God. If I just try harder, I'll get to the shore on my own strength, and God will accept me. God will save me. But that is not how God rescues them. The storm gets rougher and rougher and rougher. Then they plead with God, please don't count this against us, and they hurl Jonah in the water. They don't want, they try to find another way. They don't want to kill him. You know what's really fascinating about this? The pagans are more sensitive to the things of God than Jonah is. The pagans are saying, what has brought this evil upon us? What God do we call on? Jonah actually knows the God, but he doesn't want anything to do with that. You know what's an amazing lesson from his interaction with these pagans, these Gentiles, is that because of God's common grace, did you know that we can learn things from non-Christians, brothers and sisters? I hope you know that. Christians don't have the, all the answers we have Jesus, we have salvation, but do you know we can learn from non-Christians? And in this setting, we have these non-Christians that are more sensitive to what's going on around them than Jonah is. So they throw him out, and Jonah goes into the sea, and the language changes here. It's really fascinating they actually start referring to God as Yahweh, as Jonah's God. Listen to this. I just think this is really interesting. And starting in verse uh, 13, it says, Nevertheless, the men, they rode harder to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more uh, temptuous against them. Therefore, they, they called out to the Lord, Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And just that picture, just hurled him into the sea. And um, I know it's not funny, but it's kind of funny when you just, you just goes flying. Uh, ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. We don't know the extent of what, he's, what Jonah has sent to them, but he really wasn't interested in proclaiming good news to them and knowing his God. But it's fascinating that the language changes and they start referring to Yahweh. And they're trying to figure out on their own, like, how do we talk to this God? Movement number three, into the belly of the fish. Jonah has come out of the storm and he wants to die. He would rather die then proclaim this news that God has for uh, the people of Nineveh. He gets thrown into the sea. And then the Lord appoints a giant fish to swallow him. And he is in the belly. Um, chapter 7, verse 17. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Now, people have struggled with this. Theologians have wrestled with this for years and years. Christian theologians handle it. Non-Christian theologians, they don't get it right. They want to say, wow, how, you know, like, how does the giant fish swallow this man? Well, well let me just give you a real quick under, uh, argument to understand how this is a historical thing that took place. Yes, a fish swallowed Jonah and took him into the sea for three days and three nights. The scripture says so. Jesus believes so. The word of God affirms it. So here's the thing. If you believe that G God raised Jesus from the dead, then you won't have a problem with believing in Jonah at being swallowed by a fish. But if you do not believe uh, that God can raise the dead, then you're not going to believe that this took place. It's that simple. Like either you believe that the scriptures are the word of God and um, God caused this to happen, or you don't believe God that God did this. But God did this. Let me proclaim that God took him into the belly for three days and three nights. And it is no coincidence that we see these amazing gospel things that take place in the midst of Jonah. One of the first gospel things we see is that his willingness to sacrifice himself for the people. He knew fundamentally that someone needed to die. But ultimately, Jonah was not the one who could die for these people. Jesus needed to come and die for these people. Jonah would spend three days, three nights in the belly, we, and he, he, he was not going to be able to accomplish. He could not raise himself out of the grave, but it's God who's actually going to cause the fish to throw him up on the shore, and he'll live. But God in his power sends his son not only to die for sinners, but to raise from the grave by his power. This is good news that Jesus would come and die for sinners and raise from the grave so that we could be forgiven and be raised from the grave as well. Movement number, th number three, excuse me, number four, Jonah repents. In the belly of the fish, we see this amazing thing in chapter two. I will not read all of it, but I want to highlight it. He has this amazing, fascinating repentance that takes place. And one of the things he says in verse nine, he says, but I but, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah has this amazing moments of repentance. And so then what he does is he goes his way to Nineveh to proclaim the message that God has given him to give to the Ninevites. And it says this in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah loves this message, by the way. God, bring your judgment to Nineveh. Forty days, overthrow it. Now, the freaky thing happens. They hear this terrible message, and they are terrified, and they are fearful of the God of Jonah, and they actually repent. Message, the word gets to the, the ruler of the nation. He sends out a decree and calls all the people to fast and to turn from their evil, killing ways. And they do. Jonah has proclaimed this message of judgment. They are terrified. They repent. Listen to the last words of chapter 3. It's just so amazing. Starting in verse 8, it says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God 
may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God was going to pour his wrath on them, and he relented from it because of the repentance from the message of Jonah that he had sent. And here Jonah is left to wrestle with this amazing, amazing issue about God. That God is just, and God has mercy. Now, we love God's mercy on us, but we don't love God's mercy on everyone we think really deserves the justice of God. Namely, people that have done something worse than what we think you should do. What happens to a lot of us, and most of us, all of us, is that we think of the things that other people do as more heinous than the things that we do. And we think that we would never do those particular things. Do you have your favorite sin to call out? Murder, pornography, whatever it is, where you think, no, no, there's nothing worse than that. Behold the justice and the mercy of God. Who could rescue and save Ted Bundy? I don't know whether he did. I've read things, I've heard things, I don't know. That God can rescue someone who is fiercely Muslim and change their heart so they repent and know Jesus. That God could rescue an Assyrian king. Now we don't totally know if they just submit to Yahweh, we just know they repent of their evil ways. And so God repented of like destroying them. And Jonah here has to wrestle with the justice and the mercy of God. Brothers and sisters, we need to wrestle with God's justice and his mercy because God sends us to people that we do not always like. God sends us to people that are different from us. Until we get ourselves in a posture where we're willing to embrace people that are different, that look different, that behave different, and we may have issues because they have wronged us or there's some sort of history that we don't like, your people bombed my people. Or, I fought in this war. Could you imagine? I have not been to war. Could you imagine getting saved, going to combat, telling, being told, these people are evil, you need to fight them, you need to kill them, and then come back and reconcile, wait, wait, Jesus wants them to be known, wants them to know God? God's justice and God's mercy. Jonah repents. The the book ends, uh, movement five, with an angry prophet and an abrupt ending. I want to read this this part to you because it's just so fascinating. Starting in verse 4, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Do you see that? God sends his word. The people are repenting. God is, excuse me, Jonah is ticked. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, and here's where it's revealed, what's in his heart. Oh, Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew this is about you, God. And relenting from disaster, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. You see, Jonah would rather die than have mercy bestowed on these lost people. 
For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to do angry? He was in the burning sun. He's, just, could you imagine? he's, like, he's away from the city to watch to see what will happen to it. And what, what he wants to see, he's done his message. He leaves. And he's like, okay, that was like, uh, like now, like, yeah, don't listen. By the P.S., don't listen to me. And I'm going to watch from over there and watch your city burn. They repent. And Jonah is so frustrated. He's sitting there in the, in the burning heat. And he's angry. He's angry that God is not serving his desires. He's angry that God is not doing it his way. He's angry that God is going out to these Gentiles. He's angry that God is merciful. And God causes this plant to grow over him and shelter him from the burning heat and his discomfort. And he sits there and he's more comfortable and he's just praying, God, just let me die, just kill me. I'd rather die than see this. It's better for me to die. And then God causes a worm to just kill this plant, so then it dies, and he's in the burning sun again. And him and God are talking, and God says to Jonah, he says, Jonah, you pity this plant. Listen to what he says. So in verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the, the plant, but but when the dawn came up, the, the next day, God appointed a, a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the, the sun rose, God appointed um, a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on its head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry with the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand also, and also much cattle? The end. So I want to call this movement the angry prophet and the abrupt ending. We don't know what happens to him. We know he's mad. We know there are many parallels with this and the older brother in the Gospel of Luke. You know the story of the prodigal. The prodigal goes out and he lives this sexualized life and wastes all the, his inheritance and he comes back beat up and mangled and nasty. Meanwhile, you have the religious brother who stayed home and obeyed his father really well, who gets mad when his father throws a party for his repentant um, son and welcomes him into the party. I know you wasted everything. Come in. I'm your dad. I love you. The older brother who's been faithful and obedient looks with scorn on the other brother, and he leaves the party and refuses to go into the party because he can't understand why his father would show so much mercy to this disgusting and vile son. And that is exactly what's going on with Jonah. Jonah is the religious one who wants to obey God and see God's justice on those that do not obey him, rightfully so. But then God says, did you make this plant? 
Did you make it grow? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? God even includes the animals. God has sent us on mission. And there are people that we might take issue with, but he has sent us to them. And so my call to you is that you would be faithful to be on mission, no matter who it is. Whether they think different politically, or they are different ethnically or culturally, but that we embrace people because God is not only just, but he is merciful, and he has mercy on whom he has mercy. And we are the people that have good news of the gospel and are to proclaim it among all different types of people. I have three uh, just quick, just, just applications I want to give all of us before we go. And it's just, this is how it impacts missional people. Number one, missional people listen to God. It's very simple. They're sensitive to God. They listen to God. When you're hanging out in life, you're asking yourself, what is God doing with this person? Is there an opportunity for me to to build an acquaintance that would leave, lead further down the road into possible communion. Number two, missional people repent and obey God. Not only do they listen and are sensitive, but missional people repent when they're not being missional. When they're saying, God, send me to anyone but them. When I was a young kid, I had this sense of call, and I know people have different, different call ideas from the Bible, I believed that God was calling me to be into pastoral ministry. And my prayer to God immediately was, God, I would do any other job except that one. And I was running from God. Like, no. I was on a one-way ticket to Tarshish. Number three, missional people care about um, those that are outside the camp. And they struggle and wrestle for their sake. One of the ways that we can continue to st- or start to learn to be missional is know that it's more about a posture than it is about the things that we do. It's more about how you're being and you're living your life out than it is the things that you do. So when we, we've come up with ways to hang out with other people, we could do that here. We could do, we could do an event here and we could be missional, but it's, about, it's not about the event. It's about the people of God in a posture that is missional. You have a party in your neighborhood, you hang out with people, you connect with people in your workplace. It's more, not about you being there, it it is, but it's about you and your posture and caring. One of the most practical ways that you can learn how to do this and to be missional, on mission with God, is to, are you ready? Just learn the names of the people that live in your neighborhood. Like, and I'm I'm gonna make this real basic, are you ready? The people that live across from you, the people that live to your right, the people that live to your left and the ones that are catty corner, I want you to ask yourself, when you're in your branch group, do you know their names? You're like, dude, I don't know any of their names. Like, I want, it starts with just knowing the people that are right around you in your work, in your neighborhood, in wherever God is leading you. Let's pray.